Culture Affidavit, episode 135. Time traveling teens from 1988 on TV. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of Pop Culture Affidavit podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. Well, the Amazon Prime version of Paper Girls dropped back at the end of July. And seeing that we covered it back in episode 111, or at least we covered the comic, Stella and I decided that we were going to sit down and take a look at the entire series, or at least this season, once we had both watched it. So what you're going to hear this episode is the two of us sitting down and talking about Paper Girls Season 1, which we both streamed. Uh, We are putting a lot of spoilers in here, so if you haven't watched the show, I would recommend going and watching it and then coming back and listening to us, and we'll still be here. And uh, we are going to do that right after this break. So stick around. You said I was a liar. I'm not. People think you are good, but you are bad and hard-hearted. I'll let everyone know what you have done. I am a free human being with an independent will, which I now exert to leave you. To marry you would kill me. I'm a badass woman. What's wrong with that? Can't hold me back. Yeah, I'm a badass woman. Just me. Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. Join me, Stella, as I look at the legacy of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte through the lens of its varied and various interpretations. TV, film, radio, theater, sci-fi, erotica? Pun intended. Does Jane Eyre transcend culture, time, place, and galaxy? Listen and find out. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can't ignore, you can't ignore no more. I'm a badass woman. This is some kind of time travel. We're in 2019. We're gonna get back to 1988. Who's there? What are you doing in my house? What are you doing in my house? That's her. Holy shit. This isn't real, this isn't real, this... This is real. And I'm back and I'm not alone, just like I said in the intro section right before this i have a guest the very guest who is with me when i covered paper girls the comic book series a while back and uh she is my co-host on 
required reading with Tom and Stella. And if you haven't had guessed who that is by now, <laughs> it is Stella. How are you? It's me, Tessa. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm excited to come back on Pop Aff and talk some more Paper Girls. So once it was announced, you were basically the person that had shown that to me, which is super exciting. And then I was just eagerly awaiting. And then once it came out, I thought, we've got to revisit this for your show. So I'm glad that we're back together again to talk now this uh, different incarnation of this wonderful series. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're recording this in mid-August. It it premiered, it dropped, what, August 2nd or so, or, or July 20th, like the last, it would know it was the last weekend in July because my parents weren't in town. I couldn't watch the day it dropped. How um, dare they? That I was know. so inconsiderate. It was so inconsiderate. <laughs> Come on. Um, but no, it dropped the very last weekend in July 2022. Um, so it was maybe as of our recording this, it was Oh, about three, two, three weeks ago. Um, and Amazon dropped the whole thing at once. I think, I think they do that. They, they, they're, Amazon's weird with series sometimes, and Netflix will do this too, where sometimes they'll drop the entire thing at once, and sometimes they'll drop parts of it. And then, you know, uh, a couple weeks from now, they'll drop the next part. Um, I think Hulu and Disney Plus tend to be the ones that will drop things on a week by week basis. Um, which I find I'm preferring when it comes to streaming, just to go off on a quick tangent here. Um, as of right now, I have only watched one episode of Stranger Things season four. <laughs> Not because I don't want to watch it, it's because of just finding the time and trying to work my way through because the episodes are like crazy long. Yeah. Um, and but it's all there and everything. And I think the discussion on Stranger Things four really has kind of petered out. Whereas um, another show that I watch, whereas like Seasons of the Mandalorian or or uh, Obi-Wan, for instance, from week to week, you know, you can sustain a, a good a good discussion over several weeks. And one show that and one one thing that's actually really fun is that some of the shows that are popular on like um, Apple or, or Hulu or whatever that are being released week to week, like it, I don't know it it makes them feel better to me or, or there's something about that. So like my, I think my favorite show on television right now is only murders in the building. And that's a week to week show. And it's only half an hour, but it, you know, so it's not like, you know, an hour and a half stranger things a thon, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's, it's a week to week show and there's a mystery around and everything. It's just like, it, it feels like appointment television again in the way that like lost felt or, other episodes of shows back in the pre-streaming era. And uh, I, you know, so, I, but now I don't have the time to binge watch either. And maybe that's it because, you know, the, yeah. you know, I don't want to watch intense stuff at 10 o'clock at night. And then you can't go to sleep. No, I, I will. I watched, I watch the same show every night about 10 to 11 o'clock. And it's very, very present, pleasant British people baking things. <laughs> That's our wine. Your serotonin booster. Right? It is my serotonin booster. Sometimes you watch the great pottery throw down on HBO Max. So that's British people making pottery. But you know, yeah, or, uh, or or a nice or, or the repair shop on Netflix, which is nice British people repairing antiques. There's there's a th motif here. But no, I do like I do like kind of wine wine down shows. That's why sometimes if Rick Steves is on in the late evening, I'll I'll watch one of those because. 
you know, I don't, I don't get a lot. And then, so we, we tend to binge our, our intense shows on the weekends and stuff. So. Yeah. So we've learned today that Tom is a, an Anglophile. I am not sure what the reasoning is for what shows get dropped week by week and what get a whole season dump in particular on Amazon, because I feel like Hulu mm. is more or less weekly. Yeah. Unless it, it's something coming from FX and then maybe they'll they'll drop the whole thing. Because it probably um, already aired on FX. Yeah, right. Yeah, like there, the American Crime Story, yeah. the most recent one. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm watching Mayans, that's like FX on Hulu, so I mm-hmm. can watch it each episode. But, for instance, Mrs. Maisel, I feel like the first three seasons were dumped all at once. And then all of a sudden, or it might have been just the first two, but then all of a sudden they did it episodically. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's getting viewership. And maybe because something like Paper Girls was untried, they dropped the whole thing. But then I think mm-hmm. about this terrible TV show called I Know What You Did Last Summer, which I don't recommend, though I did suffer through the whole thing. That was week to week. So I'm not sure exactly yeah. what their reasoning is. But I will say for this particular show, Paper Girls, I did not binge it. I could have. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed watching either one or two at a time. So yeah. I was able to kind of savor what was happening, which is great. I do wonder if now it's only a week because we, of course, discussed when we talked about the comic series that sometimes if there were gaps, if it was more than well, first of all, if it was a month or if it was more than one month, if there was like a hiatus, we had trouble remembering what had mm-hmm. happened previously. So at least the week you don't have to stretch your memory too far to remember what had gone on. But I, I suppose binging could help you at least because you'd have this consistent like timetable and, and see all the events unfold and you wouldn't forget what had happened prior. Yeah. I think Paper Girls, the comic series, was very, very popular in trade. And um, at least with that sort of younger audience. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe Don can tell us whether or not it sold well at Barnes & Noble because um, mm. he's, he's made some mention of some authors in here and there that sell really well. Um, but I know that a lot of I know the people that I knew were, were reading the they referred to them as graphic novels. I did not get pedantic and correct them that they were trade paperbacks. But um, <laughs> but I, I said because I remember them reading it or whatever. I said, oh, that's a I said, I really like that series. I guess I've been buying the comics month to month. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I was like you, in fact, um, without even knowing it. I think I, I texted you where we were talking um, on our hiking trip uh, and how I wanted to savor the show. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think, I think the last three I might have watched on the same day because it was like, um, I watched, uh, you know, episode six and then seven and seven ended. I was like, well, I just want to watch the last episode because I had like the chunk in my day to do it. So I decided to go ahead and do it. But yeah, I had what, like one. And then, cause it also like, it really, it not only, you could not only savor it, but you could let it soak in which I think is really, really important for a show like this because the show is so much about character. And there are some really interesting set pieces in it. Um, but I was drawn really to um, to the characters and the characterizations as opposed to the 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 effects or the or the or the monsters and things like that or whatever um, and such. Uh, so I'm gonna go out on a limb here. And say that you liked the show. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that's a good limb to go out on, and I promise not to shake it. And then you fall to the ground. Um, 
<laughs> which is a nice literature reference. We'll let the, the audience guess. I enjoyed it a great deal. And I think a lot of it comes down to the cast and the characters, which, of mm-hmm. course, we're going to because that's make or break it. Because if you are not buying into them or find them relatable, just one person relatable, I think it's really hard to uh, get in on that. And it has to have something special and unique that makes it distinct from Stranger Things. And Mm -hmm. then I see later on you say, or Stand By Me. And I think it has that, which we should talk about what that is, because I'm not sure right now what it is, but I feel like it is distinct from those two. But I enjoyed it a great deal. I'm excited. I hope it comes back for season two. But I, yes, I really enjoyed it. I feel like it captured what we loved about the comic series. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's, uh, people are, people are, are quick to point out, and I'm glad they are doing this because the, the very typical criticism from people who are unfamiliar with the comic about the show has been, well, it's just a Stranger Things ripoff. And we've seen that in some media, and people are pointing out, even in the media, like this show comic book debuted before Stranger Things ever dropped. Yeah. And so it's and and you know it's very possible for projects like that. And, and it is not it is it is not a it is a time travel piece about teenagers. It's not yeah, so there, there there are major differences and I really want to belabor that point, but I, I, I did see more stand by me in it and, and I think we'll get to why. But I really liked it as well. I was I was thinking about it a lot after I finished the episodes, you know, like from episode to episode or from chunk to chunk, mm-hmm. whatever I like, I found myself just coming back to it and thinking about it and thinking through certain scenes and how well that was done and stuff like that. And, um, it's not like it hasn't been a while since a show like that did that for me. Um, I will say though, that like the majority of scripted television that I watch lately is probably not really doing that. Like, you know, I'll just kind of burn through episodes of like, um, you know, whatever CW show I had on my DVR, whether it be Batwoman or the flash or something. And, you know, I, it's kind of a, a fun day to day thing. And then, uh, with the exception of, you know, only murders in the building, I'm not really coming back to them the way I was coming back to this and just thinking about it. And I only watched each episode once, you know, I haven't done a rewatch or anything. Mm-hmm. I might do that before season two, if season two yeah. does drop. Yeah. So, uh, before we get into what's, what the show is, you know, if you listen to our paper girls episode, you know what we're talking about, but if, before I get into the show itself or the, or what goes on and the characters, I do want to reiterate that, um, we are going full spoiler here. So if you have not watched the show and you are interested in the show, I would honestly recommend turning the show, this the podcast off and going and watching the show and then coming back if you don't want to be spoiled. Because we're just we're going to just we're, we're going to have a kind of a casual conversation. We have some discussion points, but it's going to be about the characters and what happens to them. So we decided to just go ahead and like, you know, yeah, we'll we'll talk spoilers. So this is your out so to speak, if you don't want to get spoiled for the show. All right. So uh, really, the if you remember the show, uh, sorry, if you remember the comic book and what we discussed about the comic book a while back, uh, it is about f- Paper Girls is about four teen tween girls. You're about 12 years old, roughly, I think, uh, from Stony Stream, Ohio. 
they are paper girls, hence the title. So they deliver papers. In the morning of November 1st, 1988, which is referred to as essentially Hell Night, where, you know, vandals and ruffians are about, they get up at the crack of dawn or right before dawn to deliver their copies of the paper, you know, on their paper routes. One of the characters... And our and our main kind of our main view for the, at least the first episode is Erin, who is a Chinese American girl who is doing her first day on a paper route, and she comes across uh, she's getting harassed by some other guys. She comes across uh, three other girls. You have Tiff, uh, who's uh, African American and kind of this very brainy, bright young woman. You have KJ, who uh, is a field hockey player. Jewish lives in the more Tony part of town, uh, and then you have Mac, who is a rough and tumble tomboy with a really foul mouth, uh, who lives in a <laughs> lives in a lives in not not like a shack. You know, she lives in your kind of typical suburban ranch house, but her home life is is like absolute crap. Um, you know, it's implied that her that her uh, that she's been abused at one point or another. Her mother is uh, kind of an alcoholic, and her brother's just a, a real a real scumbag. Um, and the first episode of the show by and large follows the plot of the first issue or two of the comic book where the girls run afoul of some of the teenage punks in the area and then eventually run afoul of this time war that is going on between these teenage time bandit kids and they're basically their parents, you know, the old, old timers as they're referred to. Uh, and the, the ideology at play there is that like, you know, the teenagers think that the history is mutable, uh, sorry, malleable and malleable pronunciation, malleable. And they, they can change things. The old timers are like, no, we have to keep things the way they are. And they've been fighting each other across time. And through everything that happens, Aaron gets shot at one point accidentally because of a gun that they have in, in Max's possession. And then she gets healed, but thrown into a time machine and they get transported to 2019, where they meet old Aaron. And eventually they get pushed back to 1999, where they will meet older Tiffany, as well as Keiji will glance her older self and Mac discovers something about herself, which is she had died from essentially what was basically like brain cancer. And, and we're going to talk about how it diverges from the show, but those are elements that are actually still in the, I think with the exception of KJ glancing her older self in, in the past, um, most of those elements are in the show. So basically the first season is comprised of them time hopping from 88 to 2019 back to 1999. And then they get, captured and put on the ship of the uh of the time police or whatever and it ends with them being shunted through like basically the equivalent of like a, a space capsule like a time capsule mac and kj get shunted out of the ship and we don't know where they go at the end of the last episode and i believe it's it, correct me if i'm wrong aaron and tiffany are put in another one and and thrown out of this time mothership and they get they drop into 1974 and that's where we end. So it's basically a, a very sloppy rundown of what happens on the show. And <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, of course, what we like and what we didn't like. Um, but I guess the first thing we'll talk about is that if you're familiar with the comic book and have and and you know the show, it diverges from the comic book pretty quickly. 
in that two major things is one is when they're in 1999 um, or 2000 ish or so in the comic book, they like Y2K has happened and it's absolute chaos in the show. Everything's kind of just like the way it was in, in the late nineties, but in the comic KJ does not come across her former self. Uh, and then we have um, another big divergence is in when they're in 2019, Mac looks up her older brother and there's a whole storyline between him and her because her older brother Dylan has actually just kind of gotten his act together. He's now like an ER doctor and like really turned his life around. And there's this whole thing about like, you know, um, how she was the inspiration for it. And then chasing them the whole time, by the way, are uh, two really great characters. You have Adrian Matsusakis as the grandfather. That's, that's that was his name. Um, and if anybody's watched uh, not, not Jason Matsuzakis, he's Adrian Pimento on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's what I was thinking of. And then you have uh, the Prioress. I think that's what her character name is. I'm doing this off the top yeah. of my head. Um, who is the sort of... Uh, really badass female oh, yeah. villain. I mean, she's, so cool. she's like a female. Yeah. I don't know if you know who Riddick Bowe is, but he's in the wire and a number of other shows. And she just reminded me of him, that sort of cold steel look. Um, and she's great. She is so great in the show. Um, so yeah, it, I've seen her. I'm pretty sure she's in one of the hunger games. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong though. And then also she was, in, I've, I've more known of her from the 100. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, whenever that woman is on, I'm like, oh man, she's, she's so cool. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> she certainly brings it to that character. You have to love any actor who brings that, like, like, um, what's his face? Um, Giancarlo Esposito is another actor oh, sure, who, I think yeah. who just, you see him and you know, it could be the crappiest show imaginable, but he brings it to that, to that moment. So it does diverge. We're, we're getting into the cast, the casting, the com, costumes, the characters, and everything. But like, just the divergences, because I think when you're watching an adaptation of a work, and you are particularly aware of this, considering that you've been doing adaptations of Jane Eyre for the last how many episodes of that show that you've done? It's almost a year. When, yeah, nine episodes. You're looking for some sort of fidelity. Mm-hmm. When it starts to diverge, though. You know, it could go one way or the other. Like, what was your opinion on the ways in which the the television show diverged from its source material? Yeah, I felt like, and, and when it when I do my real, little rubric on Dear Reader, I always ask, is this the spirit or the law? And I feel like it still had the spirit, like a very strong spirit mm-hmm. of Paper Girls, and it was just um, taking some liberties with it, but they made sense. Like it didn't, I think the only thing I did not like was Larry. There's too much Larry oh, in right. my opinion. Yeah. So I did not mention him. Nate Cordry plays that. I don't think Larry's in the comic book. Yeah. And, or was Juniper in the comic yeah, book? I can't but... remember. I have to go back and reread it, but there's <laughs> Nate Cordry who was uh, Rob Cordry's little younger brother. And he was a daily show correspondent for a while too. Plays uh, Larry, who is one of the kind of sleeper agents that the, that the uh, that resistance of younger time kids like recruited for the time war, and it's his calculations on on when time uh, time disruptions are going to occur, time portals are going to occur, and everything that they use for that ends up being kind of part of the way that they figure out how to do time travel. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But you're right. There was a lot of Larry in a couple of episodes <laughs> to the point where they went Perhaps back to see him much. in '99, and you're just like, what? Yeah. But we did and see we had, We thought we were done with him, and then he came back with Mima. 
Yes, with Meemaw. Yeah. So I didn't have, I think, uh, besides Larry, too much difficulty or uh, grievance with some of their divergences. Mm -hmm. I feel like we very quickly did lean in on and focus on Aaron. And my recollection of the comic is that it's more or less pretty even in terms of who we're focusing on, though once we start to see these adults, some of that focus turned. But it just seemed like the first half of the season was very Aaron heavy. Mm-hmm. And then it started to, I think, transition more towards Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Like basically whoever had their adult cohort around, you you got to see more of that. And so the balance was maybe a bit off, but it's you, you kind of have to figure out how to do that with four main characters and um, depending on where your story is going to go. And then Aaron also, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but Aaron already had a whole host of issues, <laughs> um, as they all do. And then I was surprised that they gave her the period storyline mm-hmm. because I was waiting. I'm glad it happened because that was you and I had talked about this, that there were really – I, we might have had different things, but we both wanted that storyline. Yeah. And then I was also really interested in how they were going to deal with KJ's um, sexuality, mm-hmm. that discussion, because going from paper to screen can be very different. Yeah. So I wondered how that was going to be dealt with. But when it turned out like very quickly, too, because I, I think Aaron was just like in a closet listening to some people discuss some stuff. And it was almost very... Um, Maybe it was good because it wasn't like a heightened emotional time. But I remember mm-hmm. how like intense it was in the comic when KJ and Mac are having this argument. And then all of a sudden there's blood running down it's KJ's like, lake yeah. and Mac is like, you're bleeding. But this one was very like she just got up. She noticed there was blood and all of that. But it leads into perhaps one of my favorite scenes, <laughs> which was trying to figure out how to use a tampon. Mm-hmm. So they, they did a good job there. So, yeah, I think just some focus was maybe changed yeah. uh, from the comics. Uh, unfortunately, it's been basically since we recorded the Paper Rolls comic that I've read it. Uh, so I'm kind of like trying to figure out or remember where um, those divergences were. What What do you feel like happened? Um, I think that um, I'm like with you. I, I think that it really fe- it still felt like Paper Girls to me. And and um I they I they kept some of the law so to speak as you said in there but the spirit was definitely there and and it when like you said at the top of our conversation here the the casting is the most important part and they just nailed mm-hmm. that completely um I was wondering about I don't know uh, to me the whole the, the whole thing with, with KG's period in the comic book was one of the more memorable things uh, mainly because it was just done in such a um realistic and frank way. Uh, but that was, but when she gets, when, when it happens in the comic, they're in prehistoric times, I believe. And, um, then the same thing with her sexuality, I would have to go back and reread it to see if there were, they dropped more hints than I think they did. They may have, but, um, the, when we finally, when we truly see that, you know, KJ and Max kiss this into like issue 25 or 26, and that's late in the run. So I think I would imagine that because they didn't 100% know that this was going to go two, three, four seasons like Stranger Things, you know, you're, you're kind of taking a shot at it. They put that in there because they needed to, um, 
needed to get it out there and have something that like, you know, they, they hinted at it enough. There were people who were going to want that before the end of the season to at least see that she at least get confirmation. Right. Cause this will, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have a kiss between her and one of the other girls. We, yeah, it's what we're going to get into that later. Um, yeah, I, I felt that, um, I see, I felt, I'm trying to remember, I felt that what they did was by focusing on the characters in the show and, um, and the way they did it, they took away what would have become confusing about the, uh, the time war, because it does get confusing in the comic book. I remember, and I remember having to go back and reread a couple of things and be like, okay, this is what's going on there. Like, you know, because, um, because there's a lot that happens with it. There's a lot of crazy sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I think that, that all, it helped it, it helped ground the show a little bit. It helped focus the show a little bit and it helped us kind of be with them in a way that I think is, um, I, I, and I promise I won't be too, doing too many Stranger Things comparisons, but from the jump, Stranger Things explained in its own language what was going on with the Upside Down. Because the kids like named all of the stuff, and because they were used in the context of like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, and because they were boys, and geek boys tend to explain things to an annoying degree, we always, I always felt that there was a lot of dialogue in that show that was there for the audience to learn almost as an explanation as to what this thing was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With this, uh, the girls are really smart and really smartly written, but we're not getting a ton of that beyond some of the hypothesizing that Tiff, Tiff and the Tiffany's do and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I, we're kind of alongside them. Um, yeah. And, and I, I really liked, I really liked being in the dark as much as these girls were without feeling, you know, and, and just kind of going along for the ride, as opposed to when I watch stranger things, I am making a lot of predictions or, or trying to pull from tropes of stuff. Like, you know, I, I'm, I, my, my pop culture brain shifts into high gear when I'm watching the other show. And this, I got some of the references that they were making and stuff, but I didn't feel like the, the show was trying to show off how smart it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really, really enjoyed that about this. Yeah, it creates this intimacy between the characters mm-hmm. and the audience because only certain people, I think, can like really closely relate to any of these girls. Yeah, but because we're along the uh, on the ride with them and we're learning as they learn, I think that's something that's really special. Yeah, I also and I, I noticed this as I was, you know, watching the show. Your Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Changer listed as executive producers on the show. But when the credits start to roll and you see writers and directors, so many female names pop up. And that's yeah. so great to see. Because that's I think so. that added to the real because I thought it for a for a female forward comic book series, it was really, really well written. Now mm-hmm. this is coming from a guy, but you know. <laughs> but when I saw when I saw the names of, of women on the on the director and writers, I was like, awesome. Because I, I felt that what this because this felt authentic to me. And I think that's part of it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. clearly you were able to use the voice that you had in, in helping to further craft these characters. 
Absolutely. And and uh, you and I talked off air that I had I, I think you agree with me, but I'll at least say I, that I often mixed up the girls, mm-hmm. especially because in the comic and I love Quip Chang, but I would get KJ and Aaron just mixed up all the time. And I think Quip Chang was just really respectful in how he was rendering uh Aaron mm-hmm. as an Asian woman or a young lady. And here it was like great to see them physically manifested because I clearly understood, yeah. you know, who was what, which was great. And I wonder if I can't remember, but I feel like this had a little more maybe racial discussions, especially when it came uh, to Aaron. Did you feel like that was true, that maybe that didn't come from the page? Because Aaron's first interaction was a wrong house, I think, with the paper. Yeah. And then the guy came out and basically was like, you people are taking over. And then also she has this this huge worry about leaving her mom alone, which she says is because she doesn't speak English, which is probably true. But I think there might be some xenophobia in this small town as well. And I think they kind of get into that. And and I have some theories of like, isn't it called uplift suasion um, with black Americans Uh, and kind of this pressure on Tiffany to make her succeed? succeed, I think so. That it's that comes from Ibram X. Kendi and it's, I read stamped and I read how to be an anti-racist, but it's been a while. So, but I think you are talking about the, I know what you're talking about. I think you're like, be better, better. as good as possible so that you, yeah, you can't be, I just had a like a sense. Is that what's going on with how much pressure it seems that the mother puts on Tiffany? Mm -hmm. Um, but that comes later, but I just felt like there were more racial discussions here, which I didn't think that was out of place, but do you remember that in the comments? Um, not not a whole heck of a lot, to be honest with you. I think there might have been a couple of discussions in the in the general direction of KJ being Jewish from Mac because right. there it is in the show that you know. Yes, and I yeah. want to say it's in the comic as well. Um, yeah. With Aaron and that encounter with the guy at the beginning, um, that tracks for 1988 because this is the Midwest. This is when, um, in a big way. American car manufacturers had lost out big time on the Japanese car manufacturers. And there was a lot of xenophobia or anti, um, you know, in the same way that we see sentiment toward Latin American uh, countries, this thing of, especially after NAFTA in the 90s, like, you know, anti, a lot of anti-Mexican sentiment of like, you know, these people are here to take your jobs. And so he was even referring to her, I, he may have used the word, and I forgive me for using this slight slur, he may have used the word Jap, but I can't remember but she does make a point about that. I'm not Japanese. I'm Chinese, but like, you know, yeah, to him who gives that. a crap, you know, he's, yeah, I know. he doesn't yeah. see that. Um, but it, but it does track with working class jobs were being, were, were going away throughout the 1980s and the scapegoat in certain industries was foreign foreigners or other countries, the Japanese were had a such a strong economy in the eighties that they were the scapegoat, especially when it came to the car industry. Um, but you know, we know that's not entirely true. Yeah, they were, they were very stiff competition, but you know, American auto manufacturers weren't exactly helping their, (laughs) were helping themselves. But yeah, so that, that did track, but I did see a lot of, and I I do remember there might've been some discussion between Tiffany and, and her older self about, you know, about her mother and being pushed in MIT and everything. But I, I think you're right along those lines that we're seeing that in, 
in action without the terms being used to what I liked about when they went back in time or with the way the girls talked, they talked very familiar to the time as much as that was possible to script, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and props to the writers to having Mac use a slur for uh, a homosexual. I think she used the word, um, forgive me, forgive me, gay wad. And her brother corrected her. It's like, you know, no, that's not, that's yeah, not, can't do that anymore. Anymore. but yeah, Props to them for not using the F word yeah. because that does that scene does not pay off until the very last issue. And mm-hmm. if you are not going to cover all 32 issues of this comic in one season, that becomes a huge sore thumb on the entire series. Yeah. You know, and we get a lot of Twitter threads about why this is. <laughs> but, but no, I, I, I appreciate them not using that because it wasn't going to. Um, you know, it didn't have a, uh, the payoff is the payoff may have never come. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I agree with you. I think there was a lot more, but I thought it was woven in really well. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you and, but you and I also are, you know, the same mindset of, um, you know, being anti-racist mm-hmm. and, and wanting to grow and all of that. Do you feel like people who don't have that backstory or that knowledge of that time period, so basically younger generations, people that were teaching, do you think that it would hit as well or they would just be like, well, this is another kind of woke thing where we're showing some of the bad times there, but they don't get that context. Do you think it works for people without that context? Um, I... It's hard for me to it's hard for me to say that because I'm going to look at it like having grown up in that era because like these characters are a year older than I was in 1988. They were all born in 1976 and I was born in 1977. So like I basically I I identify with all three four of those characters on the level Mm -hmm. of being that age. Um, But at the same time, I think it's really really well written to where they're not stapling something onto a past era. And, there, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times when when the and there's small lessons about progress being made across the 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they're done through the older versions of the characters like Max Brother, for instance, or, or like you were saying with Tiffany and, and, and that. But but it's mixed into with pressures and 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 aspects of growing older and growing up that I think no matter what your race, gender, class, etc. We have a lot in common. So the idea that you could somehow be disappointing to your parents, mm-hmm. um, the fact that you could struggle with your mental health in some way or another, um, that you're, there is a conflict later on with your parent, like, you know, or that you're not measuring up to your potential or that you went in a direction that you didn't expect to go. in. like, I think that translates across everybody. I think it's a universal theme and the, that, that universal theme is more important to the show than the other stuff that's mixed in with that, that universal theme. And I think it re- really works well. Mm-hmm. I, I like all of the casting. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost. I was surprised to see. I can't remember her name now. The comedian. It's like, uh, is that Ali Wong? Yeah, is that Ali yeah. Wong? Have you <laughs> it is. have you seen Always Be My Maybe? I have. Oh, it is. It is. It's on. It should still be on Netflix. It was a, it was a Netflix rom com. Okay. It's her and I think Randall Park. 
Oh, and okay. and they're like best friends, but like it was they're kind of the if if we're never married by a certain age, let's go ahead and get married type of friend, you know that thing. And, sure. and it's yeah, <laughs> and it has one of the best Keanu Reeves appearances in a movie of a celebrity spoofing himself because Keanu Reeves plays himself. It's, it, it is a, it's a cute, cute rom-com and it's very, very fun. And I would recommend it because okay. I think that's where I actually first, I think I might've seen a couple of her stand-up bits, but that's where I first saw her in like anything of length. And she's really good at this. She plays older Aaron. Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, and actually it, it opens with her. And I want to say it opens with her so people who recognize Ali Wong can be like, oh, Ali Wong is this. I really do. Because yeah. it opens with yeah. her in 2019 and then we flash back to 1988 and we then we come full circle by the end of the episode and she's in 1988 with her younger self. So it's just like you know, she's in 2019 and her younger self is there. So that, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, the costumes are all on point. Yes. I like that funny comment because I think KJ is wearing – a DMV shirt, mm-hmm. Dave Matthews band. And Mac is like, well, she can't be all that bad. Well, you know, you have a dumb, <laughs> dumb on your shirt. <laughs> like, yes. They wouldn't know who Dave Matthews band was. Would they? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and if, uh, although it tracks that Aaron as an older person might still have some of those t-shirts because she would have gone to college in the nineties. And, uh, those of us who went to college in the nineties, we were issued Dave Matthews CDs, you know, <laughs> like you could not escape Dave Matthews band. If you went to college from 1995 to 1999. So Interesting. yes, yes. Um, a lot of, a lot of hooking up was done in dorm rooms to Dave Matthews in the, in the, wow. in the mid to late nineties. Okay. Yeah, it was, is there one song that was the key makeout song? Uh, Crash into me was probably one of them. Oh, I would sure. And satellite, maybe <laughs> lover lay down. Some of the slower oh ones. Gosh. Oh yeah, it's okay. It, it, it was it was cliche when it started. That's how bad it was. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. The, so I just thought the look and the feel of the series was great. Yes. And um, the, when they would come across new technology, they didn't seem like cavemen trying to figure something out. You know. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, that was a funny scene, too, when they go to that shop mm-hmm. to get that um, thing fixed. The, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, uh, it's the, it is the, it, it's the, it's a Apple, it's got a cube with an Apple, it's like a square with an Apple logo on it. And when it activates, it scans Ali Wong's, the older Aaron's face and it. That's what, a, then she's connected to the big uh, time yeah. robot, the transformer that, uh, <laughs> Yes, that um, that she pilots in the in the in in a couple of episodes. So yeah, it's yeah it's control for that. I think when they were in there, someone made a comment about a phone book, and older Aaron said, "We don't have phone books anymore." And Tiffany freaks out, just like you don't have phone books anymore. So it's funny <laughs> when you're like years beyond, you yeah. know, the things that people people miss. So that that was. Yeah. <laughs> And by the way, when they get to Sony, Sony stream and they realize it's July 4th at 1999, one of the first things Tiffany does is go, she finds a payphone and a phone book and looks up her 
So like, yeah, it's like a nice little callback. The other really fun moment for me regarding the girls in the future with technology was when Mac finally, um, Mac and Dylan go into his car and she's got her tape out of her Walkman and she's trying to put it. She's like, what kind of car doesn't have a cassette player? And he goes, watch this. He's like, play Danzig. And they start, it starts playing mother by dancing. I was like, I loved that moment because it was just like, cause Mac's mind is just blown. And I'm like, yeah, that that's so appropriate as far (laughs) as just like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Like that would be the reaction and stuff. So I really, really liked uh, that moment. That's why that show felt so genuine to me too. Yes. All right. So let's talk about, we'll talk about our characters um, and their future selves. Uh, We talked a little bit about Aaron. So let's, let's start with her. So, Aaron, of course, being our uh, being our protagonist, at least at the beginning of the series, and she's the first future person we come across. And in the future, much like much like her character in the comic book, I think this is she's a little she's one of the ones who's like a little more true to the comic in that in the comic, she's actually writing for the paper that she's to deliver to. And in, in the TV show, she's actually, quote, freelancing, which means she's more or less unemployed. And has been living in the same house, mainly because their mother had had died. She was taking care of it. And I think she was supposed to essentially be packing it up to um, sell it because she misses the closing day with her sister. Um, they were going to close on the sale of the house. And uh, you can see that the house has not been packed up yet. So you can tell Erin's just been kind of like languishing and, you know, her her own depression or neuroses and things like that. What did you think of of Aaron as a character in this show? Yeah, so she is certainly I think it was good for us to follow her because, of course, on one level, as you said, they don't know everything that's going on in this world. And so we're along for the ride with them. And then on another level. She is the quote unquote new girl. Yeah. She's called that frequently by Mac. And we also are these new people that are like trying to figure out what this bike route is. And so to be on the ride with her, someone who is just inexperienced and this is her first day, I thought was very appropriate. And she's certainly the most reserved of the the paper girls. And as so perhaps that's the reason why there is so much early focus on her and her older self so that we can kind of bring her out of her, her shelf because, you know, slowly but surely the, the girls start, you know, swearing a little bit. Cause Mac is just all oh, Mac, pretty rough. Mac has a mouth on her. But like, then yeah. once, uh, sorry, one more time. Oh, Mac just has a mouth on her. Like, <laughs> she, yes. And, and the sm- a chain smoker as well. She, she honestly reminds me of a girl I dated in high school. So, Whoa, Tom. Yes. Her name was not Mac. Okay. That would have been Her name was Kate. So. Yeah. But then as um, I feel like she, yeah, she really starts to open up. She's engaging in whatever this trauma mm-hmm. is with her older self and trying to figure out, like, what have I become? That sort of thing. And there might be some self-hatred. Then watching yourself die, spoiler, yeah. that was huge. And then she's probably, like, the last person to finally use, like, an F you or F off uh, kind of thing. But you, you get to see her, I think, really, like I said, yeah, come out of her shell and be bolder along the same lines as the other characters. Yeah. So I, yeah, I enjoyed her. I mean, she is, she is so sweet and innocent. Again, she got the, the period, the menstruation storyline. And I just, again, that 
scene was so funny and the whole tampon and saying, I don't think I have those muscles and them reading all of this stuff. And it's really scary. If you pull out that thing and you hear about this and what could happen if you get in too long. And yeah, it's like it sounds horrifying. And to not have any adults is just crazy. And to also have to steal a um a, a, box. a box and then Mac had to go back and get some pads, pads yeah. instead which are you know the safer bet but yeah so it's interesting that it happened to her but I, th- I think that was perhaps a good bonding moment for all of mm. them because a note I had on this little sheet is I liked that they weren't really friends no I couldn't tell from the first episode who actually knew each other because it seemed like they actually didn't know each other. They only knew each other in passing. Mm-hmm. But KJ had made some comments that she knew Tiffany and that she was a smart person. So that was a bit undefined. I wanted to rewatch the first episode, but I didn't have time. Yeah. But even, I would say, halfway through, they're still not friends. Like, we're not forced and they're not forced to have a friendship, which I thought was actually really nice. But by the end, you could actually see that there is a pretty tight bond because they actually start to look out for each other and like, well, we'll all go back if this is what the threat is. But initially, they're just like these four people thrown together in this really unusual circumstance. They don't know who each other is. They don't know their nuances or their hangups and everything, which I thought was really nice. And so the the, the pad tampon was a nice sit down moment of these four girls have no idea what's happening. Aaron's the first one to get her period. And so now they're kind of all living through that. So that was a really, I think, beautiful moment on several levels. Yeah. It reminded me, I bring up stand by me because it reminded me a lot of the campfire scenes in stand by me, which is, you know, a lot of it is just the discussion of like, you know, they, the silly pop culture stuff. Like, you know, if I could only have every one thing, one food for the rest of my life would be cherry flavored Pez and all that. But <laughs> there are some very heart to heart moments in that scene. And there's these four boys bonding along this trip that they're on. And that's where I, I really started to see that movie in this show with these girls. And, mm-hmm. and it, if stand by me is one of my favorite movies. And so I was just, that drew me in even more. And the, um, the, the, <laughs> the, they like they they steal the tampons from the Seven Eleven by like spilling a Slurpee all over the floor. The guy has to. <laughs> it's so like it is so twelve year olds trying to do something like this, and you know Mac they t- turn to Mac to do it because Mac's the one who obviously knows how to do this sort of crap. Sure. Um, and then uh, then the maxi pad and everything, and and yeah, it's just the figuring it out for yourself. I'm like, I can't even imagine how scared that must be scary. That must be if you have no idea what this is, especially if you really haven't learned that much about it or don't have a adult to help you out there. Um, but I will say shout out to a previous episode that we did earlier this year. I think it was like one of the first episodes of this year. At one point, I think it's Mac gets a bloody nose and shoves the tampon oh, yeah. up her nose. Yes. So shout out to She's the Man. Because <laughs> I laughed 100%. out loud when they did that. Yes. I wanted to text you about it, but I didn't know if you'd watched the episode <laughs> yet. Yeah, no, that was great to see that happen. Yes. Yeah. Um, see, it does yeah, work. Yeah, I, Aaron, Ali Wong, older Aaron, has this uh, arc where she, she is she's a neurotic mess. At the beginning of it, she's going through anxiety and depression. She's always saying like these self affirmations in the in the mirror 
her sister has it like way more together and you can see this sort of like there's a real um conflict between them and then she can't tell missy like what's going on with the larry and all this but she at one point when they're shunted from uh 2019 to 1999 they're shunted in this big transformer looking robot that's their portal and they go in and then the 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 bad guys send like essentially like a Godzilla, <laughs> you know, like type of monster. It's mecha fighting mecha, and um, the girls get away. And in order to save them, she basically makes the heroic sacrifice. She's just kind of like you see, like you you see her over the course of the smaller because it's only in the first like, maybe four episodes of the show she's in. And that really affects Aaron, younger Erin because she sees herself die, right. and and like I like the fact that they didn't let it go, you know, like because sometimes comic books are notorious for doing that. Like you see something really bad happen, and like two episodes later, like issues later, the person doesn't really seem to have an effect on them anymore because we're on to the next villain, right? But Erin's like shaken up through pretty much this entire thing until the action really kicks in again. And I mm-hmm. thought that was really well done. And I, I, I really cared about her older self by the time that she did that. I wasn't crying or anything, but I felt her. I felt older Aaron's death. Yeah. So. Well, she finally pulled it together yeah. too. So I think that was such a big moment for her. Of I, she stopped, I guess, the self-loathing or what she was going through, and and made this really noble sacrifice. Yeah. And then Erin in 99 sees that like her mom and her sister were close. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, and we see conflict between her and her mother over taking the job on the first night. By the way, loved just little touches in the show. Love the fact that when her mom and her, she was arguing with her mom, arguing in English and arguing in Chinese and arguing like the switching, the, the switching back and forth. Um, yep. That feels pretty genuine too. And such, at least from when I've heard some of my uh, uh, Latinx students talk to one another, they will switch back and forth between languages and the things. So, I'm like, I can totally see that happening. So, I thought that was cool. Okay, so Tiffany, she's the smart one, is kind of in love with her older self or the possibility of the of, yeah. of she you can see this sort of like beaming kid at one point she learns that she was the valedictorian of her high school and she goes to MIT before she learns that she dropped out of MIT or she got expelled from MIT I don't think she said why or or got kicked out um, but it coincided with her finding out that she was adopted mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot going on there that's unresolved at the moment because instead of getting killed when they leave 1999 older Tiffany is kind of beamed up to the to the time ship to have her memory wiped of the you know kind of like a men in black type of thing you know they're not gonna you're not gonna remember any of this which is why she writes the words you invent time travel on the cover of Larry's journal and leaves it with Tiffany in 1999 which that Tiffany didn't she left the journal, so I don't know how that's supposed to help. When she's beamed up, she's not the journal's not in her hand. She left it in the car. Yeah. So I think the idea is that they will beam her up and put her back where she was, and she'll find it in her car because oh, okay. the 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 time the time masters or whoever they are the time pol- I'm just going to say time police. 
The time police don't know that they have that. Like I said, they weren't, that wasn't the MacGuffin for the, um, that wasn't the MacGuffin for the plot. The girls are the MacGuffin. So, so they don't know Larry's journal and all that. So, so they wouldn't be after something that they don't know exists. So she put it, she smartly put it in the car, knowing that this, that the woman would not remember anything about meeting her younger self, but hopefully this will be sort of the, the breadcrumb, right? She's leaving a breadcrumb. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a pretty cool touch. I thought it was funny. I thought it, it seemed to go on a little long, but maybe that was the older yeah, Tiffany or, stuff. Or maybe it's just they were kind of staying in the same place. Maybe it was because it did seem the pace seemed to slow down a little bit when we got into 1999 because it was pretty it was pretty frantic through like the first maybe three or four episodes when they were in 2019 and trying to figure something out. Or maybe it was just because it was reflecting older Aaron's neuroses. So she was constantly anxious. So the mood was constantly anxious, but older Tiff is a lot cooler. So maybe yeah. that's what it was, but it didn't buy, you know, it didn't take me out of the show or anything. So what did you think of? Yeah. Tiffany? Yeah. Well, she is our nerd of the, the <laughs> quadruplet. Yeah. I don't know the, the, the group. And she's the one that seems to be able to figure some things out. So she, yeah. Mm. So she's able to, to further along some of the plot because she has that notebook and she and older Tiffany are working through some of these codes to figure out where some of those uh, time happenings are going to occur. She is also our second person that we see, and she is the one, I get perhaps, not conveniently, but appropriately, mm-hmm. um, being a minority character rescuing another minority yeah. character, which is good, so there wasn't a white savior situation going on. <laughs> and she has her walkie-talkies, which leads into everything with the, the teenagers stealing the, the walkies, and that's, that's right. how everything gets there. So, she, yeah, I like her. I She... Like the only thing I would relate to Stranger Things is she did really remind me of Erica, <laughs> the younger <laughs> One sister. One of my favorite characters of the entire show. Yes, just because she she does have that sass, uh, and she is a born natural leader. Um, because right now it seems like she would be the one to lead everybody, mm-hmm. and she's even the one once you find out that it's Tiffany Quilkin, like you saw the priorist. Yeah realize uh oh and then that's when the priorist changes everything and and starts to help him help them out but if someone else comes up to lead it'd be a shock because you would expect it to be tiffany but no i liked seeing this i I, and yeah she is so overjoyed and i think everyone was super nervous about what is their future self going to look like because aaron and aaron that did not turn out so well so for tiffany to be super excited and and to think you know i'm 12 13 I have these grand plans. These grand plans work out. My future person is so cool. I think that's really interesting. It's This was, of course, a diversion from the source material because I was so looking forward to goth-looking <laughs> Tiffany. She's more like raver. She's kind of a raver yes. when they first see yeah, her. Yeah, because that's where we meet Yeah, yeah. her. And I remember she has yeah a boyfriend. I feel like his name was Spike, but I could yeah. be wrong. Um, and instead, like, she's got this really dopey looking boyfriend yeah. and she said something so weird. She said, if there's a towel on the doorknob, I think I'm like, who puts towels on doorknobs? Is it not a sock? Yeah. Or, or scrunchie, like a scrunchie a back in the day. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. But anyways, um, yeah, so I liked her. I, it was an interesting diversion yeah. from the comics. And I'm wondering about this adoption storyline because I don't remember no, that from the right. comics either. And clearly it had a huge impact on adult Tiffany because that's when she found out she basically took a nosedive, I think, in her personal life. And and why wouldn't you know that's that's such a huge reveal in your life and to have your parents not tell you for so long. So um, and then it was told to her at like Waffle House and very nonchalantly. So I don't know how that will affect her or if we'll see that storyline again, but that that certainly is intriguing. Yeah. Not my favorite of the group, mm-hmm. but I, I liked her nonetheless. Yeah. I, I do like how in character them meeting them was because they met older Aaron completely by accident. They did not know that they were in 2019. They They ended up waking up or whatever, and they ran out to... They went to Aaron's house... Because they were like, well, you know, like it was kind of like a place of safety. They were trying to get to safety. So they ran to Aaron's house and they were looking for it and they they came across Aaron. And so it was totally by accident. They weren't looking for her older self. In this case, Tiffany calls her, leaves her a message on what was like a, a on her answering machine or whatever. And then and then uh, older Aaron picks them up. And stuff. So it's like a deliberate meeting. And that's yes. really, really interesting uh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. And she has to go through all those very specific. She's like, in case you think this is a prank, you have like a yeah. mole on your butt cheek or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah so that, yeah. So, um, and I thought both characters were really well written. Um, I, I liked yes. the awkwardness. There is a little bit of, there's awkwardness between Aaron and Aaron, but with Tiff, the two Tiffs, there's a big sister, little sister aspect to it that is like, you can see the excitement in her in older Tiff, but at the same time, she's like, you know, trying not to oversell it or she's she's also trying to protect Tiffany. She she protects her from the fact that she dropped out of MIT, the fact that she's adopted up until it's kind of a, reaches a breaking point. And I thought that was very, I thought that character was very, very well written. And then uh, let's go with Mac, because I think I'll say KJ for last. So. Mac is Mac's very much like her comic book self. I mean, they all are, but Mac like pretty much is like word for Page word screen. for curse word for curse word. Um, <laughs> and I think in and it's very true throughout. Like in the comic book, we know she when they go to see. I think they even do go to her future house, and the place has been completely torn down and it's gone. Which she's like whatever, and then she does find out that she's dead, and that's so. There's, um, which, so what's interesting is the way that Aaron, who's kind of the quiet one Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the story, sees herself die and is very expressive about this, what she has seen, the grief she is feeling, how freaked out she is by it. Mac, who is the loudest of the bunch is the complete opposite. She finds out, she, yeah. she said she, I think she tells KJ at one point, and then that's about it. Because, yeah, they go yeah. to visit her. She group. lies to Aaron. She says she's eventually. Yeah, yeah. So she's, like, quiet about it. So I thought that was really, you know, the kind of the, the juxtaposition was really interesting. But the the her storyline diverges significantly because she goes and meets her brother, and they bond 
in a big way because she takes him back to being a kid again. You know, they set off fireworks and and such, and then um, they meet his kids who are really uptight private school girls who, oh my god, they eat at a Chili's, which um, I call BS on that. They got their food. <laughs> <laughs> In a timely fashion. Oh, man. Golly, what was that? 2012? Yeah, no, it had to be later. <laughs> man, yeah, shout out to Michael yeah. Bailey. Oh, no, no. I mean, like, they go to a Chili's and, like, Max chomping on fries and her daughter's, like, his daughter's, like, um, oh, the, the the leftovers could feed, it's so wasteful, it could feed so many people. And, like, when, when KJ, KJ goes to find Mac because to warn her, that the prioress is coming and after them or whatever. And uh, like Dylan's wife offers her, she's like, I can make kale chips and he's living this very, very healthy lifestyle with her. Um, I found it fun. I have two small nitpicks with it. Um, There's a little bit of an implication that, He's kind of like a lot of the healthy choices um, are driven by his wife. Although I did like the fact that clearly his oldest daughter, what was her name? Like Ryder? Waverly Sorry? or something? No, I, I said Waverly, Waver, Waverly, but I don't think that no, was No, I was right. like Ryder? Something. I, I think it was three syllables, okay. but we'll consider this. Um, his oldest daughter is clearly his wife's kid, but his younger daughter is clearly his in that sense, like personality wise, like you could tell Alice is the younger um, daughter and um, Max, like you named your kid Alice because that was their like um, stepmom or something. Yeah, I think so. And he's like, you have no idea like how she stepped up when you were, when you were sick. And there's this whole thing of like him trying to tell her like what, she, how, how brave she is through the, through the cancer and everything and her just not really being able to process it. But I felt like it was kind of like one of those things where it was like, you know, he, he straightened up and he got a little too square. And, you know, um, the other thing, in a sense, even though it, there is some serious character development here, so we can kind of hand wave it. She, in that timeline, is kind of a woman in a refrigerator. If you think of Mac yeah, is Mac, because she dies and her brother gets his act together. Yeah, but I think they subvert yeah. the trope by having them meet up and have this thing, and him turn turn and be like, "You're lame," you know. Great to see you, but you're lame. And then she takes off because she's got an adventure, so she's still alive at this point. So they subvert the trope a little bit, but she it's a very women in a refrigerator thing. But I don't know. Maybe they're kind of doing a little bit of meta commentary there <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm reading into that. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, many, and I'll, I'll let you finish, of course, but just in, in terms of that, the th three, I don't know, well, I guess all of them, really, once you see your future sh self, how does that affect your decisions in the now? Yeah. And so with Mac, obviously, she doesn't want to die, but it seemed like so much positive, un you know, unfortunately, came out of her death. And so what do you necessarily do with that? But I don't, I don't think that was really something that she considered yeah. in this season. But just, yeah, something to, to think about. But, yeah, you finish. Yeah, my, my thought with the time thing, by the way, and I'm just going to very quickly no prize it by saying that I think each of their interactions with their future selves, it's kind of like a, things are splintering off 
and um, so they're creating new timelines as they go, you know. And, yeah. and in fact, there's a whole thing, science, sci-fi, crazy timey stuff, where there are rifts in the time stream, and it's probably because of what's going on. Wilder is the name of the girl, by the way. There um, you go. Okay. Yeah. So no, I just I thought, that, but I I did I did like I I liked that they did that with Mac because it gen- made me more genuinely like her character than just appreciating the badass, trash talking, cigarette smoking twelve year old. Like it gave yeah. her real depth and it gave yeah. her real depth in a way that we could see it, see it affect her too. And I thought the, and, and, but with a worse actress, that would have been a terrible storyline. Yes. Uh, I would say that uh, it's kind of a tie between Mac and KJ, which one's my mm-hmm. favorite, but I feel like Max at actress was the best of the mm-hmm. four. Because she has very meaty stuff to deal with. And even just being really rough at the beginning, not everyone can pull that off, quite honestly. But then once you see, yeah, the impact of um, her death and then getting to know her brother and the shift once she, which we could consider it a shipper bike ride, but that really heartwarming I guess or sad bike ride where KJ is um, which I don't know how KJ knew how to ride that dirt bike but we'll allow it and Mac is is crying behind her as she's holding on Mm -mm -mm. and you're right yeah she switches uh, position with Aaron and she's she certainly goes inward which I think if I recall correctly all the girls knew that Mac was going to die Mm -hmm in the comic. Yeah. So that was, that was a change. And then bonding with, with, um, KJ and, and having some actual emotional moments. So I, I feel like that was the best actress and I enjoyed her, her arc for sure. And yeah, I guess we'll, (laughs) we'll see what happens if she's able to survive her diagnosis. Yeah. She makes, she takes this character and makes her more than just one note. You know, she's yeah. not the smart mouth sidekick, and and you're right. It's all these things, and and in, in the hands of somebody less than capable, she becomes, um, she becomes like a, 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 a scenery chewing and over the top with it. It's it's really done very very well. Um, I'm mm-hmm. kind of with you, Mac and KJ. I think are the two that I was most invested in. I liked all four characters. I think. KJ's storyline, I thought was when because that diverges from the comic significantly as well. Um, in the comic, if you guys remember, we do have KJ figuring out her sexuality, but she and Mac kiss, and it's toward the end of the series. It's toward the climactic, you know, last moments of the series. Um, there may have been hints dropped along the way, but. Here we get like full on confirmation that she is that she's gay, mainly through when they go to 1999. She looks up her her parents and they're they're there to like swipe food and get some stuff. I think money or like I don't remember why else. The well, initially they weren't even supposed to be there because I guess generally they. That's take a right. Trip. Yeah, they, we go to somewhere every Fourth of July, so they won't be home. So yeah. they went to basically raid the place as best they could. And they they walk right into a Fourth of July party for this really uptight 
suburban, rich suburban family. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it was like something. If they weren't, Jew- I would imagine a lot of their neighbors are very waspy. Uh, they're Jewish, but it's just like they're very much. And um, upstairs, uh, KJ sees her older self. And then uh, her mom's pushing some guy on her, like, you know, as, you know, you should date him here. I want him to, you know, it's that typical thing. Yeah. But then she goes upstairs. KJ sneaks upstairs. Younger KJ sneaks upstairs. And she runs into um, Marin? Lauren? No, uh, Lauren. Yeah, Marin is the name of the actor. Um, who's, oh, you're a friend. And she's working on, you know, they're a film school together. And then. Uh, they have a nice conversation. KJ says, I'm her younger cousin. And they talk about like filmmaking and everything. She invites her to a Stanley Kubrick uh, film marathon, movie marathon that's going on downtown. And um, she then, KJ hears herself coming up, sneaks into the bathroom or whatever so that she doesn't get caught. And then she sees the two interactions. She sees them kiss and it freaks her out. And then over the course of like the the second to last episode or so or six, six and seven stuff. Um, she does go to that film festival and she has this conversation with Lauren about how did you know when you liked movies? Yeah. And I, I loved it. <laughs> no, and I, I loved too. the fact that neither of them pointed out that they weren't talking about movies. Like they let yeah. it hang there and they let the audience be like, we know they're not talking about movies. Cause you know, there's always that typical line, Hey, this isn't about movies. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, we know, but no, that was, I thought that was very, um, I thought that was very sweetly done. And there were little hints. Now, going in, you and I both know about KJ and the comic. So we're waiting mm-hmm. for that in some way, but there are little hints. Mm-hmm. Like she mentions when the first time she ever saw Mac was at the fountain at the mall when they're in the, the, the rundown mall in 2019. And she's like, were you stalking me? She's like, no, but like, you know, so she obviously has a crush on Mac. Um, there's little hints and stares and things like that. And then there's that moment and her watching the two of them in the film and then getting completely engrossed by the end of 2001, which totally and just, it, it's, I don't know. I thought this was so sweetly done and, and so, but not just like saccharine, like really felt, um, I don't know. It felt good to see this written this way. Uh, but I'm not, um, but again, like I don't have much context for it, but I was just reading and I'm like uh, re- looking at it and watching and watching the performance of the actress who I told you yeah. looks like a really young Bernadette Peters. So they could be distracting sometimes. <laughs> Bernadette yeah, Peters. So, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I thought, I thought she was really, really well done. And I picked up on this and I have to go back and rewatch it, but I'm pretty sure that when KJ's parents find out about her, um, her, her, her homosexuality, whether or not she comes out to them or they find out, I believe they kick her out and they don't associate with her. And the, the hint I have for this is that when KJ's in the house in 1999, there's a bunch of pick family portraits and stuff on the walls of the house in 2019. They're not in the house but the prioress comes to KJ's parents because because KJ killed the prioress's brother. She didn't know it was him, who he was with a hot with her field hockey stick and dropped the stick and the prioress has the stick and it's got her name on it and she, you know she puts two and two together and then she mind wipes them. 
but she notices that on the end table, all of those pictures that were on the, um, that we would see later on in the series on big portraits and stuff like that on the walls are on a small end table in the front living room. And because we have two separate characters seeing those things, the fact that it's lingered on a little bit doesn't feel like um, telegraphing it as much as, say, the hologram of the Death Star and Attack of the Clones. Like, we get it, man. It's the Death Star. We saw it. You know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's a little Easter egg that I caught. And I'm like, oh, they kicked her out. Like, she probably doesn't talk to them anymore. Well, do you, don't you think that's still a big focus, though, to put up? photograph on an end table but it's like it i think it's the it's like it's like it's almost like they had like every little photograph they had of her like they they have there because they can't bear to like completely get rid of the pictures and stuff but they're not all over the walls in the way it was okay you know and i I have a feeling that like her parents being kind of upper class up type people that's how they would react especially in in around that time too yeah yeah that's the big thing is that that's 99 and you know coming out anytime is hard but in 1999 it'd probably be you know as you go farther back in time yeah it was it was easier than in 1988 but yes you are talking about people who are probably much more conservative than say if that was san francisco or, or, or or somebody like in new york or whatever uh, you know, so we know that they, they tend to be that way, especially since like her parents were pushing like the, the bat mitzvah dress on them or and everything. Yeah. The bat, bat mitzvah. mitzvah. Yeah. And, um, but you're right. You know, 1998 is, uh, it's either the, it's either the same year or the year after Matthew Shepard was killed. So you're, mm. you are talking about, a um, a, a heightened violence against the LGBTQ plus yeah. community. And then eighties, you have, yeah, AIDS the eighties, right? 88 is 88 yeah. is right. Um, right at the height of, uh, of the AIDS crisis. So it's, it's at some of its worst. Um, and AIDS awareness is starting to get around in the late eighties. It's the early nineties where really become like the stigma really lowers in a big way. Um, but I think it's you're, you're first starting to break through around like 1988, um, mm-hmm. with kind of destigmatizing AIDS and, and such. Um, so yeah, but but back then it was yeah. well. There's a joke in Heather's, which was in '89 and takes place in Ohio, about Kurt and Ram when they um, you know they 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 kill them and write a suicide note as if they were lovers and they couldn't express themselves, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which the, the Heather's is a dark satire. So it, it, this only works because of this. Uh, but there's a whole, there's a gag in there where they leave a bottle of water in there because the, the people will think they're gay because they're drinking bottled water or something. And it's just like a throwaway joke, but like, you know, this is the same time period as that. So, you know, mm. homophobia in the, in the burbs was, was very, very high. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What complicated storylines does KJ have for sure? Yeah. And I feel like of the four, I probably connect most with KJ just being um, sporty and not preferring dresses, trying to figure out who you are, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, oh, boy. (laughs) 
I think she goes through so much that perhaps that's why they didn't want to give her the menstruation <laughs> storyline because it would have just been yet another thing. But yeah, she kills somebody, and I think they dealt with that so appropriately, just with how traumatic that was. And she kept asking, like, he's probably still okay, right? And then at the end, there there is some resolution where she does actually face to face apologize to the prioress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though I miss the um, her stick. I, I she doesn't get the stick back until the very yeah. end, which I was wondering. You know, oh no, what about when they were in the mall? I thought, oh, is this the scene where there's going to be a stick just floating in midair? But there wasn't. But um, yeah, there's a lot of gay panic for KJ yeah. <laughs> because after that moment where she sees them just hanging out, she's she is just enjoying herself watching her older self and Lauren hang out. And then all of a sudden they kiss and she just freaks out. And I think there's a really poignant moment of her just like looking in the mirror and she does really well just with the facial mm-hmm. acting um, in like trying to reconcile like what the F did I just watch and like, Oh my gosh, what does this mean? That kind of thing. And then outside was when, she punched yeah. back. So it's just like, you know, someone finding something out about themselves, being unable to reconcile that part of themselves and just like outwardly um, taking it out of them, which, of course, then ruins her friendship temporarily yeah. with Mac or whatever it is. Um, but then they're they're able to come back. And then, yeah, watching, I, I think, wanting to investigate further, like what was going on and having that that moment more panic i think where she's like how did you know um um it's like what's going on <laughs> what's going on but luckily yeah lauren like quickly yeah. picks up on on what she means and and has that but it's interesting because with time travel these sorts of stories you do wonder you know how much should you be told how much should you know how is this going to affect you and i wonder in terms of sexuality is that like too much for someone to like, is that easier? Is that hard? Because looking and finding that out and I'm like, Oh my gosh, does that click for her? And like, Oh, this makes sense. All of these things that were going on or, or is it now like, well, now I know I should pursue this. And now she's kind of not on her natural organic uh-huh. timeline. So I felt like there are so many deep questions to ask in terms of sexuality and KJ that I really like, and I still don't, have the answer, but I think like it, it was a really good storyline that I'm I'm happy that they've sorted out. And like you, yeah, I was watching KJ from the beginning, w- watching her glances, seeing if they're going to seed it to have it make more sense. And you know, naturally, I think she and Mac tend towards each mm. other. Mac being very standoffish at first, but Mac being the first one to uh, tell her that she's actually going to die KJ rescuing Mac and having that moment. So, and now of course they're somewhere. We don't know. I have my guesses. I think we both have the same guess, but I've, yeah, I have enjoyed her sexual journey, I guess, and trying to figure that out, but just wondering, you know, in real life, would that be helpful or would that be (sighs) harder to kind of see in the future? Because that's something that we deal with partially because she sees herself on the rooftop kiss mac and then there's this like then she has to tell mac but what does that mean for her if like she doesn't necessarily understand because now it's just like almost forced on her rather than coming to understand herself i could go in a couple of ways because i could imagine that it could scare you um and Mm -hmm. and 
especially because you're 12. So you're still figuring out a lot about your, you're still figuring out everything about yourself anyway. Right. So, um, like you said, she's not completely blind to the fact that she feels this way in some capacity, but being that young, it doesn't fully register with her. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know, it could go either way where she gains some confidence in it. And then the, the anxiety comes from how to navigate that, especially at that time, if they ever get back to their own timeline or Mm -hmm. it scares her even more. And she, she's like, she kind of freaks out about it because she just doesn't know what to do. Because it feels yeah. right, and yet at the same time, you're like you know, it's just it is. It's a bombshell of of a thing, and and yeah, would it, it, I, I like how they're kind of approaching the question of would you want to know something about yourself if you met, met your future self? Mm-hmm. Because that's a timeless question. We all we we all ponder that, and, or or if you could ever go back and talk to yourself at a certain age, what would you say? And they're 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 exploring that too, and I really like that about about this i also i agree with you i feel like this was handled in a really respectful way too you didn't have Mm -hmm. her get beaten up by anybody um there was no dramatic confrontation with parents or anything and it wasn't made for a joke it's not a sitcom though you know but it was uh (laughs) yeah yeah it's, it's you know um it's not Ellen DeGeneres leaning, accidentally leaning into a mic and saying, I'm gay on Ellen, which was a landmark TV moment. And it was a, I've it heard, was a sitcom, yeah. you know, so it, yeah. it's totally appropriate for the context of that show. But for this, it wouldn't have worked. I'm glad they took it very seriously um, and sprinkled mm-hmm. in humor when they needed to. And tied this, just tied it into this whole idea of self-discovery. Which, which yep. is very, so you use the word queer baiting a lot on BTO lately. <laughs> I, I I've heard the definition. Can you define <laughs> that for me? Because I don't think this is queer baiting, but I just want to make sure that we're that. Uh, sure. No, queer baiting, as I know it and as I, I understand it, is when they, uh, when I guess the powers that be of the show are pairing people up, seems to pair people up, but in the end, those people will never oh, okay. be together. So, for instance, um, one could say Poe and Finn, that was like queer baiting because it was like getting real close to something going to happen with them. And then it never does. I think they did it a lot on Teen Wolf, where there's just like all this evidence that these people should be together, but they're never going to be. And it's just like kind of to tantalize. Okay. All right. That makes sense. As far as, uh, as, as far so as I don't think that this is queer no. baiting. It would only be queer baiting if Mac and KJ don't get okay. together. Yeah, and I think they. Uh, I want see. That's the thing. I do want to see them get together because it did happen in the. Yeah. Because it, it ha- we have precedent for it. It happened in the source material, but they didn't get together toward until the end of the series. Season. So. Oh, oh, the oh, comic. The comic, yeah. And we Dark, know at yeah. the end of the of the comic book series, they are they're. Their minds are essentially wiped, but they're it. I think it's going to end similar to the comic series, and I think Tiffany leaving the journal behind for her older self is a little bit of a foreshadow there. In that, if uh, if the old woman gets involved like she does in the comic book series in, in the TV series, 
they'll wipe their memories of all of this, but they'll leave enough breadcrumbs behind for them to make sure that they find each other and become friends and mm-hmm. perhaps Mac and KJ. So with, with that progressing, perhaps Mac and KJ do end up together, or I like to think that they did end up together in the end overall, even if they mm-hmm. didn't have any memory of their first kiss. And <laughs> I would have loved in my mind, Mac and KJ from the comic go become a couple and their first kiss has this weird deja vu to it. And that's the yeah. scene in my head. That's my head canon for, yeah. for the future of the girls and paper. Girls. So just, just yeah. putting that out there. For sure. Yeah. And it's such a, I hope that it is in the show too. It's like such a messy and painful uh-huh. relationship too. Like it just, there's conflict with it. And, and I think that makes the relationship realistic because we want, you know, these beautiful, easy relationships, but those don't often exist. So it'd be interesting to see. And I will say, I don't know why people leave their doors open <laughs> because that would have been so bad had one of her parents <laughs> wandered up and seen and not that that's what that's like like gay panic for me is like when people are doing things and the door is open i'm like oh my gosh why is the door open so uh, they're walking only baby kj yeah. saw them yeah so let's go on with uh and we didn't cover everything but we, we've been recording for oh an hour and a half roughly so and and you know we'll we'll if there is a season two we will come back and talk about season two i think i um of course i'm contractually yes, obligated um, to now return. i will say <laughs> If Mac and KJ do finally hook up, I would like it to take a while to get there because it'd be nice to see this build and such. Um, Predictions for season two. Now, we saw that the very last shot of the show is essentially um, Aaron and Tiffany end up in Stony Stream again, and they go looking for the farm, right, where Larry lived or mm. they go looking for somebody's place um, and they stumble across a drive-in movie theater that is showing the longest yard, which places the mo- which places the episode in 1974. So that's where they are. We don't know where Mac and KJ are. I want it to be the prehistoric thing so we can make meet the cave woman and the astronaut and that whole storyline of how the whole because there's a direct connection to Time Grandpa and the Prioress and all that. So that's my hope that yeah. they're that they're in dinosaur land. That's also my hope. And I think that's a good way to bring them together because if you're these outlanders that are feeling very uncomfortable, of course you're gonna be you're gonna get closer with the person that you're with that you can at least relate yeah. to. So I, I feel like that's a good way to bring those two characters um real close. And it doesn't necessarily need to be romantic yet, but just like kind of trauma bonding and yeah so more larry is what you're saying but larry is probably what a teenager yeah i don't know if they'll see larry yeah larry is not even maybe i don't know he might be a a young kid um i don't know if we'll see any larry but we might see somebody else somebody else (laughs) she'll come out with a A shot parent maybe or somebody um yeah that would be interesting. Yeah, and how these two get. So now it is, yeah, like I said, these people were not friends. They were thrown together in the strange circumstance. By the end, they do have this yeah. bond. And now they've been separated, which is really interesting. And so you'll see these um, these two, which you've not seen Stranger Things, whatever season this yeah. is for. Um, but one of the 
weak points of it, in my opinion, was that there were three storylines going on in three mm-hmm. different locations, and it was just it was too much. And uh, so the the challenge, of course, will be how do you keep us engaged, um, our attention engaged in you know two different storylines. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to seeing timelines or times that I'm not familiar with because, you know, 99, even 88, but 99, 29. Okay. That's real familiar. But now, yeah, let's get the seventies. Let's get the prehistoric times. So that'll be yeah. super fun because of how strange. Yeah. I'm be. curious as to if they'll ever come back to some of their future, other future cells and stuff. I have a feeling that we might not, although we might see different versions as we did in the comic book because we did see different versions of them at times and stuff. And I wonder if they'll ever do have a resolution to whether or not Mac will survive. Um, mm, so yeah. that that that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, that's where I think they are, and I'm hoping that they get to do maybe a couple more seasons beyond the season one and two, just to just to give it its its full due because there's a lot to mine from this that they didn't uh, from the comic, and now that they've mm-hmm. really established the rules of the game. They've established the protagonist and the antagonist. They established what's going on. They can get a little weird if they want to and go off in the direction that the comic book did, especially with the prehistoric stuff. This that'll be really, really cool to see. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think if you put one of those little bugs in Max's brain, it would heal it? I don't know. That's the thing, because like they try to do it in or something similar to it in the comic book. They take her to like one of the medical facilities or something, and it just didn't work. Yeah. So, um, mm. yeah, that's, that'll be interesting. And I'll be, I'll be curious as to see, because in, um, in the comic, Missy has a role toward the end in the final battle with her helicopter and stuff. She makes like a big heroic sacrifice. So I'm curious as to whether right. or not they'll bring some of the future people back or, or whatever. Um, a couple of scenes that did stick with me regarding Mac were, um, part of it was her brother. Like, I'm curious as to after Mac kind of ran off and he's not able to find her ever again, like what effect that has on him. And mm-hmm. then the other one is there's a scene in 1990, I think it's 99. They go to visit Mac's grave and they, oh, yeah, they run step into Alice and she's, yep. it's, it's traumatic. And yep. then they go on, you know, we don't see her again because we don't need to. But again, like they do such a good job with that scene. You're kind of curious. That would drive someone back yeah. to drink. And she kind of cleaned up, sobered up, and to see, yeah. So I don't know if that'll have a detrimental effect. So, so that'll be that'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see. I don't think they'll do anything with it, but I I like the fact that I can speculate about those things too. All right. Well, thank you, and you are contractually obligated to do season two if we ever (laughs) have a season two. Yeah. Uh, But for now, where can people find you? Yeah, and I just want to say for the record that I do not think that this is a Stranger no, Things. No, no. I I can get on maybe the Stand By Me, but I mean, you know, Stranger Things, Stand By Me, It, this. Like, the thing that they have in common is this group of young mm-hmm. kids, to a certain extent, you know, being a buildings Roman and, and watching them grow up. But I feel like this is very different. I, I would not be able to... Uh, compare it to stranger things i think that stranger things has its um qualities and this has its qualities and they're they're two different yeah. things so i don't know if it's people are just seeing the 80s and they're like oh th- that's stranger things and that's so superficial I, I think it's to do they're, that they're out at the same time 
Yeah, I think it's yeah. contemporaneous. So there, there people are going to make those comparisons the same way that oh, they'll make superhero com- movie comparisons to one another, right? You know, so yeah. I, I feel like there are deeper oh, yeah. themes that this one has in Stranger Things. The fact that it's all female and really all of these those group teens are all basically male, except for it. You had um, Bev. uh, Beverly. But yeah, so I would say don't compare. Um, I, I think it's very different and you should give this a chance whether or not you've read the comic or not. But yes, thank you for having me on. I always enjoy chatting with you, period. And chatting with ha ha ha. See what I did there? And chatting with you about Stranger Things. What? No, Paper about Girls. Paper Girls. Wow, I got thrown off. Sorry about that. And chatting with you about Paper Girls. So you can find me on the Twitters at Backworld Oracle. And if you have any complaints or compliments, you can send them my way to backworldoracle.gmail.com. My original show was Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, or is. You can find that at the Batman Universe. And that's a monthly show. And then Dear Reader, a a Jane Eyre podcast, is rounding third, as they say, in the baseball world. And its 10th episode should be out in September, hopefully. And uh, that's over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And then, of course, I do some literary nerdism with Tom every month. And that's that, yeah, Required Reading with Tom Masella. And uh, the, uh, as as of this episode dropping, the more most recent episode just dropped last week, so you can check out us talking about a book by Lindsay Dario called "It's What, it's I, what do. I Do." That's what it is. So, yeah. which is a really fascinating book. So you can check us out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be back to wrap things up in a moment. So stick around. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their backroll year one work, Brian Q. Miller on his backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the backroll spoiled the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers.
And once again, I'd like to thank Stella for coming on. It was a great conversation. Next episode, I'm going to go along with the things I had planned, which is to look at Crash Course and Dance Till Dawn TV, TV movies from, well, 1988, the same year The Paper Girls takes place, or at least the beginning of it does. And then the episode after that will wrap up my America, Our Society and Culture miniseries that I've got going. I've had uh, at least one or two pieces of feedback just overall lately. I'm going to save that for episode 137. So if you have sent me an email recently, that's where it's going to go. If you'd like to talk to me about this episode or any other episode, don't forget to send me an email, leave a Facebook comment, etc. And as always, thank you very much for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Paneris. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.